in the studio, we've got the amazing Susie Newborn. How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> that that sounds amazing, yeah. No. No. <laughs> I don't know what's happening out there in the planets. Where's Nawia? What's going on? I know. She was meant to be here with us. Um, I did want to um, just say thank you so much for making some time to come in to the studio and have a little chat. It's really sad that uh, Nawia couldn't be here with us, but um, I'm stoked that you still came along. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> stoked that you invited me. Nawia's never invited me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all coming out now. Thank God she's like in another island. <laughs> I'm going to keep that little sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, I did want to talk a, a little bit about um, since you've, for so many years of your life, been involved with um, causes that really um, uh, sort of uh, work in tandem with Māori ideas like kaitiaki, tanga. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to sort of bring up what does um, kaitiaki tanga or being a kaitiaki or, or guardian that helps look after our environment, what does that mean to you? First of all, I'm not Māori, so I no. we, we don't call ourselves kaitiaki. We oh, call ourselves... I can call you that. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because I am Māori. Yes, you can call me a kaitiaki, <laughs> but I can't call myself one. I'm a protector. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess it's something that I've been doing since I was five years old. Mm. I was brought up in a household uh, where my father was a Buddhist and a theosophist, so... Mm. The spiritual and the love of nature was extremely strong in our house. And he basically said at a very early age, that's when I was very young, that his um, that he felt his vision for me was that I would be going out into the world to protect Papatuanuku or Pachamama, as they say. Mm. In Latin America, my p parents are from Argentina. Wow. So that was a very strong influence in my life from a very early age. I was brought up with my father reading Krishnamurti and Herman Hesse and uh, Buddhist stuff. So um, that kind of molded my brain, I guess. Mm. And it always seemed to me that at one point in my life that that was what I was going to do. And, it, of course, it ended up being that that was what I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what about your mum? Was she really also on that same thing as your dad, like very environmentally minded? I don't know that my dad was environmentally minded. He was very spirit. He, had, he loved mm. uh, discussions mm. around uh, consciousness and different states of consciousness. And later on, when I was older, he'd get all my friends tripping on acid and smoking dope. <laughs> and we'd all sit around yeah. with my dad and he'd play Pink Floyd. And we'd discuss all the different levels and parallel universes and states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. My mother was more of a diplomat's wife. Mm -hmm. And loved to cook and take care of people and make dresses for everybody and nice. entertain. Oh, beautiful. It sounds yeah. like a, a woman after my own heart. Yeah. Um, so, how did you end up getting involved with um, Greenpeace initially? Well, my father um, 
died in very mysterious circumstances, probably assassinated by the Argentine fascist government at the time. Mm. And uh, that's an, a long story and I won't go into it now. But So he was a diplomat? Yes. Oh, what was he was his, a trade diplomat. His name, sorry? His name was Peter or Pedro, mm. Pedro Newborn, same oh, as me. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah. But he had been working um, with the Argentine government as uh, in the Argentine embassy, and they went on to be a, t a trade attaché. But he was definitely of the left-leaning political side of things and mm -hmm. was getting into trouble and uh, was ordered back to Argentina within 36 hours and refused and became an asylum um, seeker in Britain. And then two months later, he was dead in a very strange way circumstance mm. and it was the shock of his death because the last conversation I had with him was you are to go out in the world and you are to do this work you are to protect the whales and mm. dolphins you are to do this do that the other and at that point in time I was more interested in having fun in London mm. in the 70s yeah how old were you at the time I was in my early 20s yeah fair enough fair yeah. enough <laughs> and you know London in the 70s was like fantastic fun uh -huh. and I had a really really good job at a very very young age but my father's death shocked me so much that I thought fuck this can I say that oh you you, you said it it's fine let's, okay. uh, yeah, let's continue on yeah so I went in I, I said I'm going to go and do something good so I've for the environment or uh, yeah. save whales or whatever and I walked into the office of friends of the earth in London and I said I want here am I I want to work for you and they said can you type and I said yes and they said you're part of the campaign team and there it was that I met Bob Hunter who was the founder of Greenpeace and mm. David McTaggart who was another founder and we developed a relationship so and then we formed Greenpeace UK wow and went on to form Greenpeace International so how did it come about with the Rainbow Warrior then where did the boat come from how did it end up that you were on the boat? <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> You go up a gangplank. Um, yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. So there were four of us. Yeah. We formed an organization called Greenpeace UK. We mm. worked out of an abandoned building. We mm. were all on the dole. We slept in the office on bags of T-shirts and sweatshirts. Mm. We'd go on rock uh, tours with Genesis and Pink Floyd and we'd sell all our T-shirts and blah, blah, blah. Wow. And that was the money we were putting aside to buy a boat that we were going to go after the whalers. So we put an advert in a paper and, you know, this guy said, look, we've got this old fishing trawler. <laughs> Come and have a look. Wow. We had no idea about boats. Uh -huh. So we went down, me and Denise, a couple of girls. And being girls, we liked all the brass and the marble. Not the marble, the mahogany. <laughs> and uh, yes, if they'd had marble on the boats. Mahogany and portholes. And yeah, and it felt really comfortable. And we thought, yeah, lovely boat. Mm. But we had no idea, you know, how to get it, even put the light on. So we had to get somebody down to switch the um, generator on. It was my friend who was a mo motorbike engineer. Mm. Mm -hmm. And he got it going and... The warrior burst into life, except it was called the Sir William Hardy. Ah, yep. And it was really full of rubbish and covered <laughs> in rust. And slowly but surely, we bid a very high amount of money mm. for the for the boat. It, and because it was so high, we had no idea at all. They said, yeah, you can have it. And then we realized it was far too much money and we needed a 10% deposit. So we went and finally we got 
a bank manager to give us 10%. Mm. And this was the Queen's Bank, Lloyd's of Pall Mall. Out of all the banks in the UK, it was this bank in Pall Mall, mm. this guy behind a bulletproof um, glass window said, what do you want the money for? And we told him, he said, yeah, a lot of people think you're mad. I said, yes, they've told us that. <laughs> we want to buy a boat and go out after um, whalers. Uh-huh. But he said, for some reason, I think you guys are going to pull it off. So he gave us the money. Wow. And so we had the deposit. We could deposit the money on the boat. And then we needed to raise the difference. Mm. And that happened through a telethon in Amsterdam using the founder of Bob Hunter. He was incredibly charismatic, Canadian, very beautiful man. And he raised a bunch of money. And that was the money that we bought the boat with. And then, of course, we had to transform her into the Rainbow Warrior. And that, that took a bit of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, no, I was just really interested in um, sort of bringing up some of those early, early times with it. Mm. Because um, I think a lot of us do know the sort of main plot points of the Rainbow Warrior and what mm. sort of happened. But it's interesting to know the sort of backstory a bit more as well. Yeah especially for people out there that might be listening. And I feel like, you know, if, if you live on this planet, it's, it, you, you have to be pretty disconnected to not be to a level environmentally minded because yeah. you're in the environment. It's, it's around you, you know. You're, yeah. we're, we're lucky enough on Waiheke to, to see the whales and the dolphins. True. And um, it, the, there's other places that just have too many boats or too many, you know, too much pollution and they, they don't get to see what we see here yeah but it's it's even the hodaki gulf is mm. slowly changing over time and there's mm. a lot of stuff that needs to sort of stop like mm. uh the the deep sea trawling and yeah, bottom trawl. yeah so um it would be you know it, it it there's yeah it's it's such an important kopapa that um even back then and and now it, it still seems like there's so much Resistance and the, there's so much fight that has to happen to yeah. just protect all the the creatures of the sea. You know, like it's yeah. I've in fact, nobody had ever seen f- film footage of a whale being harpooned with an explosive harpoon. That people hadn't seen that, and when they saw it, everything changed. And that's when the movement to save the whale and so on began. So you know, we created that movement and then the movement became an organization it became the international organization and a multinational organization that is now greenpeace but that movement started right at the beginning with nobody getting paid four people on the dole Mm. dumpster diving eating veggie soup (laughs) living on you know sleeping on the floor on mat on mattresses or on bags of t-shirts and and it was really inspirational it was an incredible time we had a huge following from the music industry you know people dire straits were doing concerts for us the cure the you know Mm. all of that it was like we all came together you know at that time it was a wonderful time and in a sense that has never been replicated yeah um it was like the initial stages and then we did all this stuff and then we came back and there was then it all started to be marketed for money. 
Mm. But at that time, at the at the really get-go of all of that with the Rainbow Warrior and the naming of the boat and everything, all related to Kopapa of Tangatafenoa around the world, we were working very closely with Aboriginal people who were fighting uranium mining. Wow. Uh, we were working extremely closely with Native American Indian from Aqua Sassnet, Leonard Peltier, those famous mm. activists. So we were working with them at the time. And then when Greenpeace became corporate, it kind of diverged off that path and started talking financial speak, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and and that changed yeah. everything. Yeah. So bringing it back to um, conversations and, and meetings with different um, Indigenous people, I did want to quickly bring up, how was it that you ended up meeting uh, Nawia's dad? Oh, well, now there's <laughs> a story. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've well, always wanted to ask you, actually, yeah. and I thought the show where Nawia comes in, it will be the yeah. perfect show. But, yeah. I mean, she's listening out there, so... Block your ears. <laughs> uh, okay, so I was part of the organization crew for something called the Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific Movement here. And we were going to have a big conference. So this was after Rainbow Warrior and all yeah, that? Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. This yep, is yep. 1990. Yep, just to set the stage for anyone listening. Continue. Sorry to interrupt. Um so, yes, it's 1990. I was part of um, Nuclear Free and Independent Pacific Movement. Mm -hmm. And the Canucks mm. from New Caledonia, for, for all of us, were like this. They were like um, the gorillas, you know. They, 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 they were. I mean, they were like, oh, my goodness me, these guys are, are really uh, staunch. Yeah, yeah. Because there wasn't tourism there, you know, like in Tahiti, and the testing, there was still tourism. Mm. But with the Canucks, we'd, you'd get photographs of them with, you know, machine guns and, and bandanas, and you'd think, oh, my God, these are real revolutionaries. Yep. And we were thrilled to hear that a Canuck delegation was going to join the conference. And because I was the one of the only ones, in fact, the only one who spoke French, mm. I got assigned to be their interpreter. Oh, wow. And this kind of, you know, a few people said, well, you're not Māori, how you shouldn't be translating. And I said, well, you find me a Māori person who can speak French and I'll happily let, let you do it. But there wasn't anybody. So I did it. Mm. And so they arrived and I knew some of the main players in the Kanak independence movement mm -hmm. who were part of the delegation. And I, I remember walking behind the Kanak delegation and Luke was in front of me and the thought was, hmm, he's got a nice ass. <laughs> <laughs> and and then he turned around and I went, oh, coup de foudre, which is in French is like a lightning bolt. I went, Jesus, this guy. <laughs> so, so that's how I met him. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the rest is history. Yes, the rest is history. Well, um, I'm probably going to have to wrap it, end, up. Wrap it up soon. <laughs> yes. But is there anything else you wanted to add while you're um, any anything you think the people need to know or or should hear out there? Oh, um, well, today when I woke up today, I watched a video of the president of Colombia mm. addressing the United Nations General Assembly, and it was probably one of the most powerful speeches. I have ever heard 
I believe it's on TikTok, but it's also on X or, or Twitter. Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to go and listen to that, to listen to what he says. It appeals to me because I come from Latin America, my my family. Mm. But there is something, and he's an ind- part indigenous Colombian too, mm-hmm. But there's something so truthful about what he says about society these days that, um, yeah. And what we can do about it, I, I don't know. Smash the capitalist system. Mm. S- sink yeah. the rich. Oh, yeah. Sink the rich. There, there is, uh, there's definitely a f- quite a lot of people out there with too much money and, and just sort of hoarding it, hoarding resources, not really caring what happens around all of that. And I just want to um, pretty much wrap it up and say it's been such a huge pleasure having you here, oh, Susie. Thank you. And I always love having you around, love seeing you. Thank you. And um, it was a nice little chat as well. So mm, um, thank, thank you, you so much. Um, hey, now we are. See you soon. Love you. <laughs> I've transferred the money. <laughs> that was uh, Susie Newborn. You're listening to Mana Mixtape on 88.3107.4. Four.